Book One, Chapter Ten of the History of Pompey the Little. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. The History of Pompey the Little, or The Life and Adventures of a Lapdog by Francis Coventry. Book One, Chapter Ten A Matrimonial Dispute. Lady Betty Vincent had a mother still living, as we are hinted in the preceding chapter, who, having worn out her life in vanity, cards, and all sorts of luxury, was now turned Methodist at seventy, and thought, by presenting heaven with the dregs of her age, to atone for all the riot and lasciviousness of her youth. For this purpose she had renounced all public diversions, put herself under the tuition of the two great field-preaching apostles, and was become one of the warmest votaries of that prevailing sect. But besides the self-mortification she was pleased to undergo, her ladyship had likewise an additional stratagem to procure her pardon above, which she thought impossible to fail her. And this was to take her eldest granddaughter out of the temptations of a wicked seducing age into her own family, and breed her up a Methodist the merit of which laudable action she hoped would compensate all her own miscarriages and effectually restore her to the divine favor. Having thus laid the scheme of compounding matters with heaven and making the virtues of the granddaughter balance, as it were, and set off the sins of the grandmother, she now thought only of putting it in execution. In the first place she communicated her design to the two apostles, and the moment she was assured of their approbation, she dispatched a message to her daughter, desiring an hour's conversation with her the first time she was at leisure. Lady Betty, who had great dependence on her mother, did not fail to answer the summons, and was with her very early the next morning, so very early that the clock had but just struck one, which she said was an instance of her uncommon filial obedience. It may be imagined the two ladies soon came to agreement. Lady Betty, being as glad to get rid of a charge, as Lady Harridan, to acquire a companion, which she represented as the motive that induced her to take her granddaughter into her family. Matters being thus settled, Lady Betty returned home to dinner, where she observed a sullen silence till the cloth was removed and the servants were carrying away the last things. Then it was that she pleased to open her mouth and bade one of the footmen— tell Minikin to get Sally's clothes and linen packed up against the evening. There happened at this time to be a miff subsisting between her ladyship and the captain, and they had gloated at one another for several days without exchanging a word. She did not therefore vouchsafe to ask her husband's consent in the step she was taking, nor even to inform him of it in direct terms, but left him to extract it as well as he could from this oblique message which she sent to her maid. The captain— who saw plainly that some mystery was contained under these orders, had at first a mind to be revenged by affecting not to hear them, but curiosity prevailing over his resentment, he submitted at length to ask whither his daughter was going. "'Why, if you will spend all your life at White's, and lose all your money in play,' replied the lady, with an air of disdain, "'I must dispose of my children as well as I can, I think.' "'But what connection is there in the name of God?' said the captain." between my playing at White's and your packing up your daughter's clothes. Unless perhaps you are going to send your daughter to the foundling hospital. 
"'Yes, perhaps I am,' cries she with a toss of her head. "'If one can't maintain one's children at home, "'they must e'en come upon the parish, and there's an end of it.' Still the captain remained unenlightened. Not a ray of information transpired through these dark speeches, and indeed there seemed to be no likelihood of a clarissement, for in this manner they continued to play at cross-purposes with one another for several minutes. At last, his patience being utterly exhausted, he insisted very earnestly, and somewhat angrily, to know what was going to be done with his daughter. "'Why, Mamma has a mind to take the girl to live with her, if you must know,' replied her ladyship, "'and that is going to be done with your daughter. If you will get children without being able to maintain them, you may be thankful, methinks, to find there is somebody in the world that will take them off your hands.' "'Oh, madam,' cries the captain, "'as to the article of begetting children,' I apprehend your ladyship to be full as guilty as I am, and therefore that is out of the question. But as to your mamma's taking them off our hands, devil take me if I am not exceedingly obliged to her for it. Your mamma is welcome to take them all if she pleases. I only wanted to know what was going to be done with the girl, and now I am most perfectly satisfied, which he uttered with the most taunting pronunciation in the world. There is nothing so exceedingly provoking as a sneer to people enraged and inflamed with pride. The captain perceived the effect it had, and resolving to pursue his triumph, "'My dear,' added he, "'to be sure the prudent care you are taking to provide for your children is highly commendable, but I am afraid your mamma will debauch the girl with religion. She'll teach her perhaps to whine and cant, and say her prayers under the godly Mr. Whitefield.' Lady Betty had never in her life shown the least regard for her mother. She had married in direct opposition to her will, and partly out of revenge because she happened at the time to have a quarrel with her, and knew her disinclination to the match. But now so much was she galled with the captain's raillery, that she gladly seized on anything which offered as a handle of reproach. With rage therefore sparkling in her eyes and indignation glowing all over her face, she cried out, how dare you ridicule my mamma? If mamma has a mind to be an old doting idiot and change her religion, does it become you of all people to reproach her with it? You have the greatest obligations to her, sir, and you may be ashamed to give yourself such airs. You ridicule my mamma? You of all people in the world. T'would have been well for me, I am sure, if I had taken mamma's advice and never had you for you know you brought nothing but your little beggarly commission, and what is the income of a little beggarly commission? Tis not sufficient to furnish one's pincushion with pins. And who, pray, was you when I had you? You know you was no blood or family, and yet you pretend to ridicule my mamma. You of all people, you! If it was not for mamma now, you would starve. You and all your brats would starve with want." When a dispute is grown to the highest, especially if it be a matrimonial one, all sober argument and cool reply are nothing better than words spoken against the wind. The judicious captain, therefore, instead of answering this invective of his spouse, very wisely, in my opinion, fell a-singing, which so exasperated the fair lady, and so utterly overset her patience, that she started from her chair, swept down two or three bottles and glasses with her hoop petticoat, flounced out of the room, and rushed upstairs ready to burst with spite and indignation. All the while this dispute was passing the parlour, 
our hero was the subject of as fierce a one among his little owners, or rather tormentors, in another room. For as the eldest girl was going into a different family, it was necessary they should make a separation of their playthings, and our hero, being incapable of division, unless they had carved him out into shares, a warm debate arose concerning him, both sides obstinately refusing to waive their pretensions. This perhaps may seem a little wonderful to the reader, who has been informed that they were all long ago grown tired of him, but let him consider the tempers of this little family, begotten in spleen, peevishness, and pride, and I believe he will not think it unnatural, after the recent example he has seen of their parents, that a spirit of opposition should make them contend with the greatest vehemence for a matter of the most absolute indifference to them. This was in reality the cause of their contention, and they would soon have gone together by the ears had not their mamma appeared to decide the question in favour of her eldest girl whose claim she said was indisputable from the circumstance of her finding him in the park lady betty was hardly yet recovered from her passions but being now told that lady harridan's coach was waiting for her at the door she composed her face as well as she could and mounted into it attended by her daughter and the hero of this history End of chapter 10 Recording by Patty Cunningham